Ranching Side Hustle, Episode 1. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows. Today, we are going to kick off the new year by introducing a new series, Ranching Side Hustle. This is kind of a concept that we'll talk about in the podcast, but it was kind of brainstormed by myself and my friend Tyler Keckley. Uh, we wanted to kind of talk about ranching as a side hustle and, you know, how that is something that so many people do, but we don't want people to feel less than for doing that. So it's kind of in the same spirit of Ag State of Mind, but we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, kind of entrepreneurial things especially in agriculture so uh, you'll look for this about once a month we're going to do this and hopefully we'll see it's going to go more to something that might come into its own podcast so i'm very excited for this I'm very excited to have a project like this with somebody who is so close to me like my friend tyler uh, we're going to talk about his operation and then we're just going to kind of talk about this concept of ranching as a side hustle so i uh, hope you all had a great new year's and you are ready to ride along on 2022 with us here at ag state of mind so all right here we go with the first episode of the ranching side hustle podcast all right tyler keckley welcome to the first episode of our ag state of mind slash ranching side hustle podcast i'm new at this so just give, be patient with me please oh man it's a mouthful but i'm super excited to be here thanks for the invite yeah man i am super excited for this because you know and i don't want to discount what ag state of mind is it's super important you know people get a lot of value out of it but it's it's fun to kind of shift a little bit here talk about things a little bit more from a business mindset and and i'll give everybody kind of the background here you and i are both listeners of clay connery's working cows podcast and he had this episode with aaron berger from university of nebraska lincoln and they were talking about having like a ranching side hustle and you know, part of me like almost cringes to even say that as it being a side hustle because like it's almost, and I know you feel the same way, it's almost like it it means too much to call it that. But like what what else would you call it? I mean, it's, it's not our full-time income, thankfully, but it is still a huge part of our lives. So, I mean, I, you and I kind of had this brainstorming thing over this and uh, thought, hey, why don't we just start a podcast on it? So... I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, it was, I, we probably both listened to that episode within, it, it seemed like minutes of each other because mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you texted me first or I texted you, but regardless of the, the order, it was, hey, 
what about what about doing a segment like this? And I know it might have been you texted me if I remember right, because it was like I didn't even have to think about it. It was just like immediate. I'm in. Just tell me when, and we'll set up a time to do it. And I would agree, it is difficult to call a side hustle, or it was difficult to call it a side hustle, just because the the time and the energy investment makes it feel from a volume standpoint that we're, that it's more than just a side hustle, right? When I think of a side hustle, I think of something that doesn't take uh, hours every day or Mm -hmm. consume you constantly throughout the day. But in reality it is, and I've kind of come to enjoy calling it a side hustle. Like it's finally got an identity. It's not, I'm not a hobby farmer. Um, I've never enjoyed that term. And so it's my, my ranching side hustle like it is a business it is functioning i am glad it's not a full-time gig right now so i actually really enjoy the the title that it's that it's kind of gotten so far yeah i mean and it's it's like you know and you're like me it's 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 sometimes frustrating to call it that but you know so many businesses start out that way um you know and who knows how long it takes and and for me I've talked about this with several people. For me, I may not like it as much if it wasn't a side hustle. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, I I may not enjoy it as much. I I don't know if that's true, but I, you know, I'd hate to find out the hard way. So yeah. it's it, it's nice to know that it it can still can like it can still be a huge part of your life but also not the only thing in your life. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like like I mentioned, I think it's it has kind of its own identity because a hobby, a hobby farm, I think is more of a lifestyle farm. Yeah. Which I'm not trying to, maybe that kind of comes across like I'm putting it down and that's totally not the case. Cause I've probably been living in that space for years, but my mindset when it comes to my, my ranch and our cattle operation is it's all business minded, right? Like, yes, there's a certain aspect of lifestyle that goes with it, but you know, my decisions are based on productivity, efficiency, sustainability, profitability. Um, and, and so that, that word side hustle, I think if somebody's like, today is New Year's Day, if you were out last night and you met a new friend at a restaurant or at a gathering and you're like, well, we do, oh, well, you know, I do this, but then I've got, you know, I sell or I make, uh, I screen print shirts as my side hustle. You're like, oh, shoot, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Like the guy's not just, sitting there, you might be sitting there drinking a beer, just printing shirts all day, but you know, it's a business. It's functioning. Well, he's not just doing it uh, for just only what he wants. It's a functioning business. It's just not full scale. And there's a a, a breath of air that comes with that, that uh, allows us to kind of gather around it and really help charge each other to keep moving forward. Yeah. Because let's face it, especially in our parts of the country, you're in Ohio, I'm in Missouri. It's hard to scale it up enough for it to be full-time because just because of the economics of the thing. And I shouldn't say just in our parts of the country because it's it's like that everywhere. It keeps people on the land. When you give them like almost almost like give them, hey, it's okay for it not to be your full-time gig. It, it gives people almost like that permission to say, hey, oh, that I'm still a big part of it. Because I think people do it because they want to be a part of something bigger, right? I know that yeah. I, that's the truth for me. 
And, you know, sometimes we feel like, oh, if we can't go all in on this, then we can't be a part of something bigger. And that's not, that's not the case. I mean, we've done it. Well, shoot, my dad did it for years. You know, in fact, I don't think my dad was ever only a farmer. You know, I mean, he had ag adjacent businesses. You know, he owned the sale barn. He, uh, he operated sale barn, but he also developed land and that sort of thing, you know? So, I mean, and they Mm -hmm. had like, they had like convenience stores in town back when those were still a thing in small towns, you know? So, I mean, just, just using him as an example, I mean, it's, this isn't some brand new kind of idea. It's sometimes, you know, you just need a little bit of refresher of, Hey, this is, this is okay for things to be like this. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned, it, it gives some, maybe some permission or some allowance to allow producers that aren't doing it full time that are we'll just say them small in size that they appear or they believe it's small in size it gives them permission to to understand it's okay to let it be profitable yeah right it doesn't necessarily have to be in the red every year it's okay to think like a bigger operation or invest time into what bigger operations do because you're it's a business still now i know people that they want to they want to have a true hobby, right? Like one of my hobbies is I enjoy hunting. Mm -hmm. I I don't really ever anticipate that hunting will become a side hustle for me where, because I think of that as a side hustle as a business proposition. Hunting to me, isn't that way. Like I don't plan on monetizing my hobby in any Mm -hmm. form or fashion, Mm -hmm. but I know, I know people that do like, I know there's companies that started that, it was a group of friends that they just enjoys hunting and then they started filming it. And then they put Com- those on that's YouTube. How D- Duck commander was. Yeah. Like it started, it starts hobbyish and then it works its way into monetized and that's okay. Like, I think, like you said, it gives people permission to live in this space of not full time, but yet still a part of something bigger. Like I went to our breed association uh, which we'll probably get into later on kind of what my business makeup even looks like, but our breed association for our cows, I went to our annual convention just a few weeks ago and not once was I ever asked how many cows do I own, mm-hmm. which I love. I, I absolutely love it. I know people that are not from agriculture don't understand that, right? They don't understand, well, why isn't that question okay? And I grew up non-ag and now that my full-time job is, I need to know those numbers. Right. Right. It's still, it's so nice to go in there because it was, it wasn't, it doesn't matter how many cows you have because of your value to that. Like my value to that breed association didn't have anything to do with the number of cows I had mm-hmm. and when I was there. And I, I felt so a part of what was going on collectively because of that was never a question. Now, I probably still had that perspective in my own head. I was still giving myself that own kind of negative connotation of, well, I only run X number of cows, but they never put that on me. That was all on me to do. And and so it was really nice to go into a space and feel that way, which allowed me to kind of look in a mirror and say, okay, make, I need to make sure that I'm doing this for others. Like I'm not, I'm not necessarily older, but I'm not younger. Right. I, I play in that middle game now. And there's a younger generation behind me that's trying to come into this business. And it doesn't matter if you've only got one cow or one feeder calf and you're trying to get started, like you're part of the game too, right? Like if everybody in this world eats beef, I'm not opposed to it. 
And so we need beef producers to be able to do that. Even if you're selling it direct to consumer or you're hauling it, you're one, one mama cow and her calf, you're hauling her calf to the sale barn every year. Like that's totally okay. You're part of the chain and we need everybody involved. Well, I mean, you know, we, it's like you say, not everybody can be those multiple thousand cow outfits in Montana or Colorado or Texas, you know, not everybody's the four sixes, um, nor should they be, True, but you know, it takes operations of all sizes because not all tracts of land are the same, you know, it's not a cookie cutter landscape. I mean, there's parts of, you know, I, I know Missouri like this, you know, there's, it's so hilly and just creeks and hollers and everything else that, you know, the, there, there's so many just small tracts of land here that, you know, you can start up by buying those or rent, not just buying those, but renting those. And, you know, it's, that's the way people get started in that, you know, and, you know, there's no shame in, in, in diversifying your income stream, no matter where that diversification comes from. No, no. And I mean, I would, you know, personally, I'm going to say at least you have a, if you have a passion in it and you want to try to monetize yeah. it, I think you can. I mean, if you don't have a passion for it, I don't know. I, not that that is kind of a, I don't want to say a risky, it's just not my personality, right? My personality is going to say, find your passions and just live in those passions and something will come up that you can, you can be comfortable with, whether that be a full-time gig or a side hustle or a combination of the both, um, which is, which is exactly what this is about. Like this is branching side hustle is exactly where I live. I have a passion for what I do in my full-time job. And I also have a passion for my ranching enterprises, which is my side hustle. Like I live in this passion fueled thing. And yes, I have a family and yes, I have hobbies that don't include my full-time job or ranching or hobbies, plural, more than one. But yet I have a, you can live in that passion space. And that's what, you know, I've just enjoyed. I, I didn't grow up on a farm. I, I grew up in a farming community and I, I don't know how many acres of pasture there are in Northwest Ohio, at least in the County I live in. If it was 300 acres of this, in this entire County, I would maybe <laughs> be pleasantly surprised. And a lot of people are going to say, well, wait, 300 acres of pasture. And yeah, that's, I, yes, you heard me fenced in true pasture. I, I don't know the I don't know the hard numbers. So if somebody's like scouring FSA databases and web soil survey to like prove me wrong, I'm that's fine. But I, I mean I can think of maybe four or five beef producers kind of in the two counties that I spend most of my time in. And and there's probably between the two counties, there's probably five hundred acres of pasture for cow cattle to graze on. Like true fenced in pasture not grazing corn stalks or cover crops like true permanent pastures. And so in my area, I never grew up with that. And so I never, like, we can't just go out and rent pasture here. Like that's, Mm -hmm. there are some pastures to rent, but not very many. And it's just kind of created this space where unfortunately we, you kind of have to feel like you have to own it to be able to do it. And I had a conversation with a buddy the other day that was, his was a full on grain operation. He goes, I'm trying to get over this fact where I have to own everything. Unfortunately, in my kind of game, my, my ranching enterprises, it is, it it owns, I have to own into that space pretty heavily, which I think you mentioned it's agriculture, like a lot of industries Mm -hmm. is capital intensive. It takes a lot of capital to get it going, whether that's your own capital or borrowed capital. And 
with that comes some risk. And that's why, again, I, I love this term side hustle. Like it can be profitable. It can be economic. Um, I'm a numbers guy mm-hmm. by trade. And so it, it can be, it can live in all those spaces. It can be lifestyle. It can be profitable. It can be, you can own it, you can rent it. And I don't think it matters. I mean, you could be in Northwest Ohio and own a few cows. When I lived in Tennessee, there was cows there. I've been to your place in Missouri and there's a lot of cows there. I've been through Kansas. There's a lot of cows there. I've been in Colorado. There's cows there. You can, you can have cows just about anywhere. I'm pretty I'm pretty certain it just yeah, might look it does, different. And every spot. Not mine. It does. It does. It looks different from my spot, you know, where I'm at <laughs> yeah. to my neighbors that share the same driveway as me. You know, it looks yeah. different because, yep. you know, one of the biggest things in ranching, farming, agriculture is, is context. You know, everybody has their own context yeah. and we have to remember that. And that's hard. I mean, I'm, that's me saying that to myself too. Like I have a really hard time with context with things, but like everybody has their own individual situations, own individual context, um, their own experience with it that, you know, you may or may more than likely do not know the whole story of everything. So, I mean, you know, you've got to, you've got to do your own thing. You've got to do what works for you and not, you know, and that's not to say you can't take advice or can't pick the brains of, you know, some people who have been doing it for a long time because that you absolutely should do that. Um, But you also also have to be able to Mm -hmm. uh, pick, know yourself well enough to be able to pick and choose what works for you. Yeah. Well, and I think we might've even touched on this on when I actually got the privilege of sitting on your, your true podcast, the ag state of mind. And it was like my biggest issue is the the fear of failure, which I think is true with a lot of people and not just ag based. Like that's across the, the whole spectrum of people is this failure just creates this burden that is really hard to overcome. And, Um, I had a conversation with um, a buddy wasn't yesterday, day before yesterday, and it was on a project that is minute in the grand scheme of things. And I just told him, I was like, man, I just, I just don't see the vision for how this is going to work and how this is going to be more efficient for the business. And, and he just looked at me and he's like, well, you know, this is where I think it could be. This is how I think it can help. Now it might not be immediate. It's a long-term. And I always kind of, put this like, I feel like I'm a pretty strategic person, like thinking through things. And I just, I couldn't envision it. I said, well, let's just put it this way. The amount of money we've got in it and could have in it is minimal. If it doesn't work, we can turn around and yeah, we might lose a hundred bucks or 200 bucks total, but that's not the, that's not the end of the world. We might be able to gain a ton. Not like it's proprietary. It's more efficiency based, but it was like, you know what? I'm not afraid to give that a shot. Our business now we're in the, the, the early stages of looking at maybe mm-hmm. trying to do some seed stock and selling replacement heifers and breeding bulls, really small scale, just all private treaty. And we're really trying to figure out, okay, what's the risk and reward of doing this? Cause we're just trying to venture into this new game, right? Like it's new to us. We think we have genetics that can, that can help out the masses or help out individual smaller guys that are looking for something that's maybe a little more catered to a, a gate to plate look. And so we're looking at it and I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work, it's not mm-hmm. the end of the world, right? Like I've tried things. I have tried things before that, that I didn't think would work. And then 
I've really stepped outside of my comfort zone and they've, they've worked out so really I well. So I think people so. get it wrong a lot of the times and like thinking they have to have this big like splash in what they do. It has to have, be like, it has to take a, wow, it has to be this huge thing. It takes over your life. It takes over everything. You hear these stories of people mortgaging their lives pretty much to start this business. And, you know, you got to put it mm -hmm. all, bet it all on black to get it all to, to work and put it in. You know, it makes for a really good movie or a really good book. But I mean, in the in the real world, that doesn't really work out. You know what I mean? We got to like approach things from a really intelligent perspective. And, you know, that's not always like the most flashy thing. You know, I'll take, for example, Carrie and I's business with the yoga studio. It's it's not what she would envision as like her dream because she wants she would love to have her own studio her own space but that's not really feasible right now for us because it's way too capital intensive but she can make a business out of doing something she enjoys by renting a taekwondo studio to three days a week. You know, it's not obviously what she wants, but it's a, it's a really important step on the path to what she wants. And I think that's really applicable across yeah. all, all of business in the fact that you, you don't have to make the big splash right away. I mean, if that big splash no. com comes in 10, 15, even 20 years or however long down the road, that's, that, I mean, that's, that's just as good as if, if it comes within the first couple years of you starting the business. Yeah. I mean, I think you look at, I mean, you look at some of these big operations, especially let's say we'll just stay in like the cattle world and the seed stock industry. Yeah. There are some that were, you know, her historic ranches, four sixes, King ranch, leachman's, all of those. Right. But at some point in time, they decided to own at least one cow, keep mm -hmm. that calf and try to sell it as a breeding bull. Mm -hmm. Right. Every single one of them at some level started there. And so I'm not saying that every operation has to aspire to be, you know, marketing thousands ahead of cattle every year, but it takes these small incremental wins kind of as, as time goes to get there. And that is like, to me, it's refreshing for me to hear that. Like you watch a lot of like uh, RFD TV, which we unfortunately don't get anymore here at our house, just, our provider, we just don't get RFD TV, but like you watch a lot of those American ranchers and they're like, Oh yeah, well dad started with like, <laughs> we bought like two, four H heifers and now we're running 500 mama cows and we're marketing 250 bulls a year. And it's like, it's just really refreshing to hear that because I was kind of, I'm, I didn't grow up with four H heifers at all. I didn't start there, but it's kind of refreshing to know like, Hey, if I want to grow this, you can, it just takes time. Don't think you're going to do it overnight. Like you said, you don't need to make a big splash. It just takes, it just takes time. You got to be patient in this game. I mean, especially in the beef cattle game, because it's our turn times on reproductive performance. Oh my gosh. I was not fast. <laughs> I was telling somebody that like I was talking to somebody who is, you know, totally naive to the industry and, you know, they're, um, you know, just asking all the questions and, and I was, I, I, I don't remember like how exactly the the term like the question was presented, but like basically the question was, you know, how do you make breeding decisions or whatever? And I was like, well, mm -hmm. very carefully because it takes you know, it takes two years to know if you even made a good decision or not. Um yeah. you know, minimum. But, yeah, yeah, minimum. minimum, minimum two years. Oh. So I mean it's it's a hard like that's that's extremely 
like to say, you know, like patience is a virtue in this industry. I mean, that's a huge understatement. Yeah. And that's just part of it. I mean, I don't know, it, depending on the business industry you're in, it, it might be no different. I have a buddy who's an electrician. He left his paid electrician job. He was an electrician for a company to start his own, his own electrical company. And it took him a couple of years to gain enough traction to where it wasn't like always super stressful at the dinner table. Right. Like mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. Uh, an industry type job like that or a trade skill job, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be this big time win overnight. I, I don't know exactly how I correlate electrical jobs to beef cattle reproduction. I'm sure you give me enough time. I can verbally process my way through that. But in, in really in reality, right. We, we don't necessarily need to have that huge win right away. Like for me, we bought our first bull in 2019 and we bought a ranch. I call it a ranch. It's not very big, but it's what it is to me, it's a, grass farm that I use cattle to harvest the forage. So that's the ranch to me. And mm-hmm. we finally, we harvested the first steer calf off of that bull this past spring, which was literally like a two year turn. The first time we actually saw it, get to saw a carcass of our bulls selection on the rail. And it was like, okay, wow. was that a good or bad decision two years ago, two years ago. Right. And it's right. like, yeah. And now so, I'm thinking yeah, we've got a, yeah. we've got a bull calf just weaned him like a month ago, just over a month ago. And we're like, well, we want to kind of keep him as a replacement. Well, I've, I've only had a few, a few calves on the rail from our previous bull. And I'm already thinking about replacing them because I'm, I'm trying to drive this thing forward in, in performance, but yet I don't necessarily have this huge massive data set to use to make these decisions. Right. A lot of it is instincts, which I'm learning it's education, which I'm learning talking to people, which again, I'm learning, right? Like all of this space in ag, I think it's just being a constant learner. And I, I think you got to be a pretty, pretty comfortable risk taker. I'm not saying they got to be like super aggressive risks, but you've got to be willing to live in that space. Beef cattle aside, agriculture, any side hustle business you want, you got to be willing to take that risk. Now that risk looks different to everybody. Like for me, it might be investing in some heifers or some AI sires or retainable for like your wife, Carrie, it might be doing more of like the online classes, right? Like that just might not be what she wants to do, but she's like, I think it could work. We need to step into this space. Cause I think what my favorite one was you guys went on a Hawaii trip. Was it last year or this past summer? Mm -hmm. I can't remember when you went and you guys did like a on the beach, black sand yoga little quick clip i don't know it wasn't very long and i was like Dude, that's like perfect like i'm sure if you pulled up the data the algorithms and facebook they would say well that one had so many stinking views because it was just a is a sweet venue right and people just kind of drive into that and it's like i'm sure the conversation ahead of time wasn't like this is a fabulous idea there's probably quite a bit of nerves that went with it but that's yeah. part of that's yeah. part of the game. I mean, we're willing to mm-hmm. got to be willing to try it at some level. Well, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So let's 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 talk about your business specific because it's okay. it, because it's 
I think it's one that people can relate to because it's one that people like can, I think can see themselves in because like you say, you're in Northwest Ohio, which is traditionally all tillable land. You know, you say there are not many fences there yep. for pastures, total opposite of where I live. I mean, I'd, yeah, I would, certainly. I would almost like bet that it would, the invert, it would be inversed in my County as yeah. far as tillable versus pasture. I mean, even the tillable ground is usually fenced in here. So, so yeah. it's just, you know, just, just apples to oranges as far as that concerned. So, uh, you know, just talk about that because I think it's, um, you know, you're kind of almost starting with a, with the chips stacked against you. Um, and you have to be very intentional yeah. with how you do things. Yeah. I mean, so I've really been in this space of what I do, both my job, side hustles, hobbies, doesn't necessarily always define who I am. Mm -hmm. And and that could be a side topic that could last hours. Sure. But really my full-time job, what I do, I am a loan officer for a farm credit association here in Ohio. So my Monday through Friday, 7.30 to 5-ish, plus or minus hours here and there, I spend working with my clients, trying to make, help them help their businesses be successful and their fam their families succeed, keep farms in the family and families in the farm. That's what, that's what I do. Now, my ranching side hustle, as I like to call it, is pretty multifaceted. If you would have asked me, and, and probably if you go back and listen to my podcast in 2020, at least I think it was, it was probably what, May of 2020? Yeah, I or think was it so. 21, Jason? It was 2020. It was, yeah, it was 2020. So we just started, I think the pandemic, I think the pandemic had just started because you were working from did. home. You were just started working from I home. Was, I just started working from home. You're right. And so if you go back and listen to that one, maybe you shouldn't, I don't know. It probably wasn't that good compared to a lot of the other ones you've done lately. No, Jason, I, dis regardless, I disagree. I disagree. It was great. If you had listened to that one, my business has changed a lot since even then, and we're a year and a half past that. So currently, as of today, um, our business is, uh, we have a registered cow herd. They're Gelby cows, Gelby balancer cows, predominantly black-hided, several reds, and we're slowly transitioning to more red-hided cattle. We've noticed a, a difference in flies mm -hmm. and being able to kind of adapt to, to heat. We don't have much shade in our country. We're flat. So in the summertime, it's hot and humid. And so we, we're trying to get a little, a little better tolerance of heat. And red cattle have, have just shown a little better performance in uh, several factors that we've enjoyed. So we're slowly transitioning, which is technically a, a little more of a traditional Gelvy color mm -hmm. um, than black hided regardless. Because Gel so Gelvy in German means red cow, right? Yellow. Yellow, yellow cow. cow. Really? Okay. Okay. But the German yellow is kind of a red color. It's gotcha. more orange, kind of like how I'm a redhead, but it's not like red as in gotcha. like the color red, it's okay. more orange. Gotcha. So very similar, but regardless of that. So we've got a registered cow herd. We have been retaining heifers. Uh, we've retained heifers ever since we started, which we bought our first cow herd or cows in 2016. We bought two, two. And I can kind of go into the reason why we decided to go to the cow herd a little bit later, but we bought our first cows in 2016. We bought two Gelbys. Um, we've been retaining heifers ever since then. We've thought fairly highly of the genetics we picked 
pain that we've bred in. So we're constantly looking at EPDs. We're pulling DNA on all of our heifers to kind of see if, as long as they're moving the scale forwards in the areas we're looking at. So then we've been retaining heifers and then we bought, we bought a ranch in 2019. So with buying a place, we have to make payments on that place. Mm -hmm. So I bought more cow. Mm -hmm. Not only did we do that, we started buying cows because we wanted to do pasture to plate. Mm -hmm. As one of my buddies called it, conception to consumption. Mm -hmm. We handled the whole spectrum. So we started selling one head of freezer beef. We wanted to be literally from the day that animal was conceived to the day it was consumed. We owned that entire chain outside of the processor plant. Mm -hmm. So that's how we started. And pretty quickly we found out that we could sell more beef than we could raise from a, a cow standpoint, mm. at least in our current environment at the time. So in 2018, we sold four head of freezer beef. Not a lot, four head. 2019, we bought this ranch. I needed to buy some cows. We scoured auctions, found some registered cows. We, we thought a lot of their genetics. We got them brought up here, started filling our ranch. And today, we've got about 18 breeding females, mm -hmm. which again, isn't a ton, mm -hmm. but for me, it's plenty. <laughs> I mean, um, it's, a, for what it's still we do a lot right to now, keep you busy. Plenty. Yeah. It, it is. Now it's only, I said, we're multifaceted. Everybody's like, well, I haven't heard anything that's that crazy yet. We're getting there. So we've got about 18 registered Gelby females. We've got one breeding bull. Historically, all of our steer calves have been going, we knife cut them at birth. So we castrate them at birth and then they, they go through the weaning process. They go right into our own feedlot and they go for freezer beef. Heifers we retain. So similar process. We just retain them. We roll them into herd eventually. But again, our, we could sell this beef faster than we could produce it. Mm -hmm. So I started buying feeder calves to start to fill the demand. Mm -hmm. um, I never, even when I started, I didn't want to overexpand the business and have more cattle to sell than I could find customers for because economically that just didn't make sense to me. Right. Still kind of doesn't. So I was really slow and we now we've sold just like 27, 28 head of freezer beef in 2021. Wow. Uh, which I guess now we're in, now we're in 2022. So we're going to start afresh now, but basically we're 27, 28 in 2021. So in three years we went from four to basically let's say 28. That's a pretty strong growth. Sure. And we did that on bought feeder calves. So mm -hmm. our concept and our marketing had to shift with that from a conception to consumption to really, we're just trying to get the best quality cattle sure. on the rail for the clients to have the best eating experience period. So what size do you um, buy those? For, Sorry, man, you, you might've gotten, you no, might've been getting there. I'm so we buy them at just about every size. Okay. Um, the smallest calves we've ever bought, we're about 360. Okay. And the heaviest calves we've ever bought were about 940. Oh, okay. Wow. So, so yeah, all, you know, all up and down. All sorts. So part of us doing this is we started getting, or I started getting calls of, hey, um, we know you've got some feeder calves you buy and sell. Do you have any on feed that are this big? And these are freezer beef guys, right? These, these producers, they have a, a barn, they feed five to 20 head a year out for freezer beef for their customers. 
and they're like, hey, I just don't want to take the risk of buying high-stress cattle out of a sale barn. Do you have any you've had for 60, 90 days, vaccinated, healthy, on feed? Well, well, again, I don't know if I've mentioned before, a lot of my mind process goes into profitability rather fast. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look at the budget. I'm like, yeah, I've got some that meet that, meet that standard. So that, that started that concept. We started basically stockering some cattle. So we'd get them 350 to 500, keep them on grass. And then around 700 pounds, we'd start getting them shifted on the feed. And then we would sell them, basically get them into that backgrounding stage. Mm -hmm. And we'd start selling them out. And we'd sell them in groups of two to maybe, I got one client that they buy about 30 head a year, but it's in two or three different shifts. Mm -hmm. So we started selling what I call backgrounded cattle. Mm -hmm. And we would buy a gooseneck or two gooseneck loads and bring them up here and we'd kind of square them up and then we'd sell them. Okay. So it's, uh, our, our business model is we have cows, we have kind of soccer slash backgrounded cattle, and then we have our feedlot, which basically is per, predominantly all set for direct to consumer. We do not sell any cattle, what I would consider fat cattle into a market right, of right. like commercial production. You factor. make like, your own market. We're not going directly to a Tyson or a JBS or right, even right. into a sale barn. All of ours is going direct to a, a processor. And so we went from four head of freezer beef a year, no feeder cattle sales at all to 2021. I was looking at the numbers yesterday. We were like 20, I think 27 head of freezer beef was our number, final number. And then we marketed like 74 head of feeder calves. And we're doing all this on like 50 acres of production ground, like tillable or pasture land. And so those 74 head of calves, you know, we're bringing them up probably three, four times a year. And we're buying them direct from a couple of producers down in Kentucky. Really like their genetics. So I try to buy their calves if I can. And then we also buy, we've got a broker that we work with in Kentucky and we, we kind of let him order buy some for us. We'll send him an order and, and we generally are not full all the time. And so that's, we're kind of more of a custom order place. We don't necessarily always have something on hand for sale right now, but like if a client would call me today and he would say, Hey Tyler, I need 10 head of calves. I want them started on feed vaccinated and I need them to be from 600 to 800 and I want them all black. Okay, we'll find him and we'll we'll go to work and he'll tell me basically when he wants to harvest those animals because in our neck of the woods, our harvest dates are pretty well predetermined for all of 2022 at this point in time. So basically they'd say, well, we've got a say like a May, May 15th, 2022 kill date. Well, I've worked with them enough and they give me enough data back that I just look in my little Excel document I have for them and I say that they average 2.8 pounds of gain a day. This is their harvest date. How many days on feed do they need them to be? And I backtrack to how big or small do I need to buy them and how long do I have to own them? And because that's why, like when I say I bought everything from 350 to 940, it's because sometimes we have to, mm -hmm. like sometimes to get to that scale they need, we've got to buy those bigger cattle or they just, their order bought like, Hey, we want some thousand pounders that we only need for 60 days. Cause we had a couple die. Okay, that sounds fine. We can we can get that picked out for you. And these are all 
in our country, they're all called colored cattle. Mm -hmm. So it's basically all your beef breeds. We have Holsteins up here, which are fed a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So Holsteins are Holsteins and colored cattle. So if I ever refer to it as overrunning colored cattle, it's, they're all beef breeds. Gotcha. We predominantly, we, we harvest and raise a lot of mixed. So a lot of crosses, our clients, I found over the last six years, five years, they don't necessarily care a whole lot on hide color. Mm-hmm. We've got a few that do. Why? Yeah, Why? Business, Why do those get, people do? Why do they care on hide color? I think, I think it's, I, at the end of the day, it's the, the same marketing money that goes into, uh, you know, McDonald's. You can buy a certified Angus beef uh-huh. burger at McDonald's or maybe you used to. It's the same marketing dollars that did that. They, they, they have a perceived value. We actually, I actually had a customer talk to me the other day that said, she's like, oh, well, we share some beef with our parents, but they didn't like your beef. And I was like, really? Right. I was like, well, I'm super curious on why they don't like it. She goes, well, they generally like that grain finish, that corn fed cattle. And I'm like, like 70% of my ration is corn. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, scratch my head. Like what, how is this different than what they've eaten before? And in my mind, I just can't stop thinking about it. Uh-huh. Right. Like we do sell some grass finished cattle. Uh-huh. We don't sell a lot of it, maybe two to three head a year. It's a business avenue I like, but I don't necessarily want to make it full time. Uh-huh. The turn time's not great. Right. The genetics are different than what sure. I'm trying to raise today. Sure. But I do like the idea of it, mostly because I like the profitability of it. I don't care for the taste and flavor, but my customers do. And mm-hmm. I'm here to provide a product to a customer. So that's who I care about. So yeah, I guess long story short or short, whatever, we have cows, we buy feeder calves, we raise them on grass, we get them started on feed, we sell those out to other producers as well as we retain some for our own consumption or our own feedlot to sell into freezer beef. So, and then right now we're currently looking into some some Gelby genetics to sell private treaty from uh, breeding bulls and heifers replacement heifers because we're getting to a size that we don't want to over basically kind of overproduce onto our ground that our grass can't handle we're fortunate here to have enough moisture but sometimes we get a little too much moisture and so we get real muddy like we are right now Um, i think we're supposed to have our first like three days of frozen ground this upcoming week but we can also get pretty droughty and i don't want to have to be in the position where i gotta start calling cows because I've invested a lot of time and energy in their genetics. I would much rather have to make that decision on some feeder calves. I've got to stick in a barn to feed them versus, or take them to a sale barn and sell them than I do cows. So I use those feeder calves as kind of my margin protection on grass and forage production. So, um, but the breeding bull thing, it's just something we're going to look into. Like I said, I think we, we feel we've got some genetics that are out there, but at the end of the day, if, if, their genetics don't meet the snuff. If their disposition doesn't meet snuff, if their phenotype doesn't meet snuff, then we castrate them and they go right into our normal production cycle without, they don't know any different. They never knew any different, but it is something we're investigating currently that I, nowhere near do I think we're going to sell, you know, five, 10, 20 bulls, a hundred bulls a year. But um, if we can sell a couple, it diversifies our business sure, a little bit. Sure. Expands that customer and it's also base. a new challenge. Yeah, it's a new challenge for me too, right? Yeah. I think kind of like this this podcast segment or breakaway, it's kind of a new challenge. And I'm kind of excited to see how it kind of adapts. But 
I mean, I think I strive into that space of challenge. If you put kind of a task in front of me that's a little outside of the comfort zone, I, I kind of thrive into that space a little. Same. Yep. So it's something new for me. So yeah, we uh, pretty multifaceted, like a lot of beef beef businesses are. There are several that are just straight cow calf and they don't do anything else. But majority of the ones I know, they dabble in a lot of the same things we do. But we've kind of cut our teeth into this direct to consumer, create a product that the customers really want to have, and we strive to to make sure that they have the best eating experience possible when they cut into that steak, take a bite, when they grab a hold of that burger and take a bite. We want that eating experience to be, you know, beyond just going to a restaurant. I want I want my beef clients to go to a restaurant and order chicken. And everybody's like, well, why do you want to do that? You just said everybody could eat beef. Well, I want them to, the restaurant's beef cannot hold snuff to what we can produce. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, and I do the same thing. Like I have a tough time going to a restaurant buying a steak because yeah. I feel fairly spoiled at my own house. So I might get a burger, but a lot of times I'll get fish or you know, a chicken dish that I can't necessarily always get at home that, and I just don't want to be disappointed if I'm going to pay for a, an true. expensive cut of meat. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be a damn <laughs> so, good steak for me to uh, spend yeah, that money on yeah. it. Yeah. And I've had them. And I've had, if I go to a fancy place, I've had them in, in our beef business. We are, I think I get asked a lot, like, do you sell just whole, whole beef? And we sell holes, halves, we call them quarters, but they're technically split half. Mm-hmm. So it's not like somebody just gets a front shoulder right, or, right. or a hind quarter. It's a true split half. And then we started selling bundled products in 2021. Uh, this spring, we started selling some. So if somebody wanted to buy, you know, like a we call it a, a combo box. Uh, you could buy a combo box, which is, you know, some ground beef, some ground beef patties. You could buy a variety box, which is, a you know, it's basically just smaller commodity size. Uh, not everybody has a chest freezer sure. or yeah. an upright freezer that they can stick 150 pounds worth of meat into. They only have room for 10 pounds of meat. Yeah. So, but you still want to be able to capture those clients yeah. too. I mean, yeah. yeah. And ideally I convert them, right? Ideally I convert them from those bundles into quarters just from a, a cost of per customer, right? Customer acquisition costs are real things. Uh, we don't spend enough money on marketing today, but mm-hmm. we are we are starting to. Um, we've got a new logo design that just came out two weeks ago, Seen three it. weeks ago. We finally got a new logo. Very nice. And um, just kind of starting that marketing game. Website development is kind of a Q1 plan, Q2 implement. And there's just a lot of steps. Like, again, it's a side hustle, but it's a business. Like, businesses morph over time and we need to, we tried to iron out production first. And now that we feel like we've got production in a pretty, maybe comfortable isn't the right word, but I think that's probably the most relatable is production. We've got a handle on, not that we don't have issues that like that everything's easy because it's not, but we have that semi under control. It doesn't take up a lot of time and space in my mind that now we're focusing to marketing because I've just, I've, I've been lacking there, right? Everything we've done has been word of mouth. We've never really pushed marketing. I've never paid for a Facebook ad. We've never really drove in our product out there. It's all been fairly organic mm-hmm. and not that I don't want to keep it. That and there's way. something to be said for that too. You yeah. know? Yeah. And, like, yeah. But at the same time for a business to grow and morph and change and adapt, 
I don't want to be stuck behind the eight ball and other businesses are moving forward. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, we're doing just fine. We can just stay right here because that will not allow me to succeed long term, in my opinion. Right. In my perspective. So to me, kind of this next step is that. And we're going to do it in a variety of different ways. At least that's where we're going to. But it's just it's a way to kind of highlight things. People have asked for a year or more. Hey, do you have a website where I can order this beef versus going to you direct? And uh, so we're going to try to make it a little more customer friendly. And quite frankly, anymore, if somebody has to, if they Google you and all you have is an Instagram page and a Facebook page, I'm not saying that you're not legit because I think we've proven that we are in our space and there's a lot of companies that are, but it just adds that extra element element of reality to those clients, especially the ones that we're not familiar with and they don't know us. They kind of get a, they are able to see that and say, Oh, okay, well, if they have a website, it, it, it must mean something, whether that's true or not. I, I don't know, <laughs> but it's just kind of the next space in our business transformation from a, a management standpoint. Sure. Sure. Well, Tyler, this like, I mean, sitting here listening to you talk, you know, you say you bring up different things like, oh, that'd be a great thing to talk about. That could be a great thing to talk about. And, you know, that so I, I feel like there's just like this is yeah. like a Pandora's box of things that, you know, we can spend hours dissecting, um, you know, I mean, even like the one the the concept of castration at birth you know like why do you do that versus waiting you know i mean like yeah. just there's so many small you know and we can yep. we can spend so many hours talking about that stuff and i'm thankful for that because it's to to have us have the space like this to actually have conversations about this kind of stuff this is where people find out ideas and you know they maybe they hear us talk and say hey oh, well what about this what do you think about this what do you about what do you think about well maybe you should just take those calves up to 500 pounds steal as bulls and then band them at 500 pounds you know yeah. you know just things like that i mean you know where people yeah. can you know and i just want to just say that just this is an open conversation to anybody who wants to come on wants to talk not just not just beef we you know Tyler and I focus on beef because that's what we do and that's what we're passionate about but agriculture you know we're open to everything agriculture related and not just yeah. agriculture related but rural business related rural side hustle businesses yeah. especially because uh you know it, it's that's what's going to keep our rural economies thriving is is having small businesses like that pop up no matter you know what the you know what the elements of the business are yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I'm a first generation farmer. So what I have learned, I have either had to learn the hard way and failing, or I've had to actually mm -hmm. physically uh, go ask for help, which is not always an easy thing to do for a majority of people. Or I've had to like just mm -hmm. spend time reading, watching, listening. And, and I think this is an avenue to help that, right? Because a direct to consumer business platform in my experience has been done in two different ways. It's either a current business beef is business that's running and they're trying to diversify and they think that's a space to go to. And I think a lot of them did that during 2020 and into 2021. If they could find the harvest dates, they could, they could transform their business into that space. Right. And there's still a lot of questions to it, right? Like how do we market sure. it? How do we, how do we manage a, a state inspected plant versus a USDA inspected plant and still stay within, you know, health guidelines on how to sell it? Well, I might have some input on that from a state standpoint, from Ohio. I've, I've done enough research to know that, but I've also seen the other aspect is brand new to the beef industry, right? Like 
they, their parents or them, they bought a farm or they bought a house and it's got a barn and they're like, Hey, I want to use it. I want to raise cattle because I want my kids to grow up with it. How do I do that? Well, this is a platform that those questions can get asked. And I'm not saying that Jason and I have all the answers because we do not. But what we do know is we do know how to talk to people and we do know how to ask mm -hmm. those questions to find those right people. So if we don't know it, we know plenty of people that probably do know it, right? Like I can think of mm -hmm. a couple really good farmers that we're good friends with that if somebody has a, a grain farming question, like a side hustle, how do you get into the grain farming on a side hustle? We probably can find somebody from our kind of sphere, our circle of friends that we could ma make sure that those connections happen. I mean, right. it took you and I, I think it was, uh, was it on Instagram or Facebook that you first messaged me? Uh, Facebook, I think. Because it was right after my shark. Yeah. I was on Shark Farmer's little radio show for like my little like 10 minute blip on the Shark Farmer podcast, I think. And a radio show. Yeah. And you sent me a message. And you're like, hey, man, love to talk to you. And that's all it takes. And right. it took us, it took us yeah. over a year to physically meet in person. Right. But, but we finally did. And it was like we'd known uh -huh. each other for 10 years at that right. point. So this is a space yeah. that allows people to ask questions, to investigate ideas. And then I, I think there's a lot of truth in learning what hasn't worked for us. Like what did we try or what did maybe a guest we bring on try that didn't work? And we might have a listener that's like, hey, I tried that too, but this is what worked for me. You could try it because I, I don't know about you, but the thing I love about the Ag State of Mind podcast is it works on me. Um, selfishly, it mm -hmm. works on me. I love hearing other people's stories and how they kind of redeem themselves, but I'm able to look into myself and look into the mirror and say, wow, I can, I could really use help in that space. Um, or sure. Or yeah. how did this go? So this is a space that we can ask those questions and we have some unique perspectives from your full-time job and my full-time job bring a whole different realm of right perspectives yeah. and thoughts yeah. and uh, experiences into our side hustles that I think bring some positive light to what could be done. Yeah. Yeah, man, I totally agree. And I am so excited for this where people, you know, where this is going to be, I think it's going to, we're going to try and make this about a monthly thing to start off with maybe more. I don't know. The concept sounds maybe fun. break it off and make it to its own thing. I don't know. I would love that. Yeah. I mean, that would be that, that I think's the goal, you know, with I this, think so too. but, uh, you know, I think that, uh, hopefully that does happen, but, uh, you know, we're going to try it. We're going to start it out. It's going to be once a month on the ag state of mind podcast to start, and then we'll see where it goes from there. And we'll do our best to keep it within an hour. I can't promise anything because I'm a verbal processor. Same. So as yep. I start talking, I continue talking until the idea finally works its way out. So if I get long-winded, I'm, I'm kind of sorry, but also not sorry because that's just my brain works that way. Sure. And that's just how I function a lot of the time. So thank you for your patience <laughs> as I work through all of my ideas. Some of them are good. My wife will attest not all of them are great. But that being said, Jason, thank you for building this platform. I, I'm so appreciative of, at, at first, your friendship. Like, you've been an awesome friend to have. I, Within, like, the first five or ten text messages, it was like, dude, if we lived closer, we'd be, like, super good buds. And 
we don't live closer and we are super Still good are. So yeah. I just, yeah. I just appreciate your friendship. Thank you for your hospitality. Let me stay, keep my truck at your place for like a week while I was out in Colorado, uh, this past fall. And I'm super looking forward to what this thing looks like going forward. Yeah, man, me too. And uh, appreciate your friendship. And, you know, like I said, you've been there for me bouncing ideas off several times over these last couple of years, because, you know, it's that fresh set of pers- And again, that's what we're here. That's why that's what this is. It's a community, you know, to, to, to share ideas with. And uh, it's, uh, I really look forward, look forward to what this is going to bring. I'm, I'm looking forward to what I'm going to learn selfishly in this. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> me too. I, I me just, too. it's just, yeah, it's super exciting. Well, man, uh, I know you've got a it's a big day for you. You've got to go watch Ohio State lose a bowl game on TV. So um, I'm going to let Just you get back to that. Just because all your teams lost doesn't mean that doesn't mean that my team will. But I do I do agree uh, with some of the broadcasters saying that Utah, the Utes have nothing to lose, right? They they are they are tough, they are tough team number one, and they, this is the bowl game for them. And Ohio State, yep. unfortunately, especially a lot of big teams and players they believe bowl, some bowl games are air quotes meaningless i don't attest to that idea i don't agree with it one bit but regardless there is an uphill battle but before then i mean i got chores to go do <laughs> i mean my cows don't feed them yeah. themselves all year unfortunately right. um and neither do our, right. our steers yeah. on feed so we're going to go knock out some chores and then uh, sit down and watch a ball game hopefully it's a decent ball game in my perspective so for all yeah. of the youth fans yeah. that listen to it your podcast be. jason you probably listen to this after the game's over so if you win congratulations you beat the ohio state buckeyes and if ohio state wins <laughs> it's just a football game don't worry about it there'll be another one <laughs> all right man well thanks look forward to it and uh we'll talk again soon obviously all right man sounds good jason talk to you later bud Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.